Welcome to Feed the Feminine, a podcast dedicated to reviving archetypal feminine qualities in a masculine-dominated culture. I'm your host, Vanessa Sedaticato, a psychotherapist and writer, empowering clients and readers to nourish their feminine while also repairing what's been damaged in its long-standing cultural repression. Join me each episode as we talk about the archetypes present in how we eat, express, and relate, and what we can do to find meaning and reach balance. On this episode, I am continuing to discuss the feminine shadow, the ways in which the archetypal feminine can be violent, and all sorts of juicy ways that impacts intimate and communal relationships. Before we dive in, a quick disclaimer. The information provided here is intended to convey general information only and is not intended to replace or infer proper psychological diagnosis. No therapist-client relationship is implied or actualized through any contact with this podcast, website, or its creators unless formally agreed upon in a proper clinical setting. And now without further ado, here's this week's episode of the Feed the Feminine podcast. So welcome to part two of our conversation on the feminine shadow. In part one, I gave an overview and discussed some of the traits associated with the feminine shadow. Uh, We began with emotional overwhelm and the struggle to self-regulate. And we talked about some other things, which I can't remember off the top of my head right now. (laughs) Uh, And and now we're going to continue to discuss the rest of the traits. Uh, And then also we're going to take a look at how the feminine shadow is treated at a collective level in Western culture. So just a quick reminder from part one, that while a lot of the behaviors that could stem from the feminine shadow qualities are going to have a certain ring to them, this is not meant to pathologize, blame, or judge. This is meant to be illuminating and invite self-exploration. So feminine shadow trait number four codependency. So (laughs) you all know about this one. It's the one that is always talked about, but hardly with enough depth. So let's see how deep we can go. Codependency is an enmeshment of existences where empathy has no boundaries and one individual in a pair or both will struggle to operate separately from the dynamic that is created between them. Codependency is often referred to when speaking about folks in relationship with addicts. There's something about getting lost in somebody else's struggle that can make a codependent person feel worthwhile. In that relationship, there can be a dependency built on the other person failing or struggling. So codependency requires at least one person in the relationship to always be kind of one down, broken in some way, so that the codependent person can love by trying to fix it. So the feminine shadow gets a little wonky here. Like most things, I believe codependency exists on a spectrum. There are codependent relationships where everyone involved is able to function across other areas of life pretty effectively. And then there are extremes where the codependent person can't exist without being needed. And the other person might feel trapped, uh, but can't maybe understand why, because it's happening at an unconscious level. Mothers can struggle with this sometimes, especially mothers who earn that role early in life, really identified with it, and then had a hard time when their children grew up and no longer needed the mothering that they did when they were younger versions of themselves. I want to offer a really, really extreme version of codependency to give you a sense of where this can go, almost as a metaphor 
for the less wild versions that exist. But what I'm about to discuss, it does go beyond codependency. It's it's a mental health disorder. It's very serious. It's not that common. So don't look at the codependent person in your life or yourself and fear them because of this. You would already know if they were up to this level of feminine shadow. But when I talk about how the feminine shadow has the potential to create violence, a really great example would be found in a diagnosis called fictitious disorder by, by proxy. It used to be called Munchausen's by proxy. Uh, so maybe you've heard that. If you're familiar with the story of Gypsy Rose and Dee Dee Blanchard, Hulu has a series about this mother-daughter relationship, but we also heard a lot about it on the news. Dee Dee, the mother, had Munchausen disorder by proxy, and she created illnesses that her daughter Gypsy did not have. She manipulated medical interactions. She misrepresented her daughter's health. And it got to the point where a perfectly healthy kid, or maybe not perfectly healthy, but she was healthy. Suddenly she was in a wheelchair being fed by her mother through a feeding tube. Now, this level of control over another person has the deep, dark feminine shadow written all over it for me. There's such a desperate urgency to be needed that a mom can convince herself the best interest of her child is to create a problem that never existed in the first place just so she can be there to take care of her and protect her. Now, in this disorder, there's some degree of delusion, which is to say an entire, entirely new reality is created in which the person does not see their behavior as being dangerous. They see it as being loving. But it's hard not to draw comparisons between that and your run-of-the-mill codependency where someone uses love and care to get desired behavior from another person or to attach to them so rigidly that they remain in need. That there's like an ecosystem where one person's constantly relying on the other person. It reminds me of that quote from Gabor Mate where he says, when we don't feel wanted, we make ourselves needed. And a lot of folks that struggle with the feminine shadow also have a low self-image. So whenever we're confronted with a sensation of not being wanted, which is often, we find a way to make ourselves needed. Part of what makes codependency really sticky in relationship, if you're not the codependent person, is it's hard to recognize and it's hard to set boundaries when you, when you finally do recognize it. Setting boundaries with a person who is swimming in their feminine shadow is somehow going to end with you being the asshole. To be clear, setting boundaries is healthy. It's a helpful trait of the masculine light that can help keep us in balance. Something I said similarly in the first part of this discussion was when we get some boundaries, when we have some parameters or containment, or we ask the, the masculine light to, to step in and let us know where our edges are, suddenly everything that lives inside of it can become a little bit more free because suddenly it knows that it's safe. To me, it's like a dog in a busy city on a leash. You know, a lot of people won't walk their dogs on a leash because they don't think it's fair to like keep the dog on a leash. The truth is in a busy situation, a lot of your dogs want to be on a leash because then they know they're not going to get lost in the chaos, right? In an unfamiliar situation. They know that they're attached to you enough. They have enough freedom to, to you know, create their own distance, but there is enough of an attachment that they don't have to constantly worry, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? They know where you are. 
right? So there's something about that masculine light where it's like, if you could set some, if you could put a fence around it and let me know where my borders are, then I can play freely within it because I never have to worry that I've gone too far and I've gone into an unsafe place. So setting boundaries is helpful. It's healthy. And it can help keep us in balance. And the feminine shadow, though, is going to view boundaries as rejection. And it's going to say, how can you reject me when all I'm trying to do is love you? I'm just trying to love you. Why won't you let me love you? It's hard to argue with that. It's hard to say, yes, I know you love me, but you're loving me in a way that hurts me. Right? The one who loves is going to say, I'm just trying to help. They're going to feel personally hurt and they're not going to be sure what they did wrong to be experiencing rejection when all they were trying to do is love you. So they might even double down on the fact that they meant well. They might sort of dig their their heels into the ground and say, you can't tell me that I'm doing something wrong. This is how I know how to love. And for a lot of people who are codependent, myself included, um, although I feel like I've done pretty well with my recovery, um, it's that is the way we know how to love, right? So it's hard. It's hard to navigate this, right? It's really, really hard to navigate this. And it's going to feel exhausting. It's going to feel like you're being ungrateful or horrible. But I always say this to the feminine shadow. If you're doing something for someone that they don't want you to do, you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for you. And the way that I just said that and realized that it rhymed, it sort of had a Dr. Seuss quality to it. So awesome. (laughs) When somebody says no, thank you, it's not a personal attack. Right. And you might want to respect their wishes and their boundaries. It's not it doesn't have to be a war. It doesn't have to be a declaration of your worth. It could just be they just don't want it. And that's okay. Boundaries aren't rejection. They're actually the only way to have a healthy relationship. Sometimes when you're in relationship with the feminine shadow, it can be hard to feel sane. I will say that it will be hard to keep calm. When you're setting boundaries, you're going to feel like you are crazy because of how the feminine shadow is going to try to convince you that love is really boundaryless. And it isn't. We do not merge into one being simply because we love. Therefore, we need boundaries to differentiate our individual emotional and spiritual selves, just the same as we need skin to differentiate our individual physical selves. Now, guilt is often used by the feminine shadow in this space to keep the other person from walking away or to keep them from asserting their needs. It's interesting that one of the ways I learned this myself was through something a friend of mine said to me once years ago. We were sitting in the woods under a blanket of stars having a conversation. And while I can't remember how we got to this point of the conversation, I do very much remember him saying, you know, I don't need you to like me. It would be nice if you did, but I don't need you to. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I was initially hurt by that. I was like, what the fuck? It felt like some kind of rejection because my feminine shadow perceived it as an attempt to disconnect us in a way that felt unloving or dismissive. And it initially made me feel sad and kind of helpless. But it was actually one of the healthiest things a person has ever said to me. And digging deeper into it and trying to understand it, 
it really helped me recognize that the best relationships are the ones based on wanting to be together, not needing to be together. Friendships need like in order to maintain themselves. But if our friendship ended, say we grew apart or we had a rupture or we just stopped liking each other for some reason, he would still know who he was. He would still be intact as a whole person. And that's an idea that can feel very threatening to the feminine shadow because it wants to get its hooks in you so much that if there was a separation, you would be half the person that you were when this all started. That's what the feminine shadow wants because that's the only place it feels like it's ever going to get love back. It's quite sad, really, when you think about it, right? The truth is relationships come and go. And even when they stay... They ebb and flow. And I swear to God, I don't mean to keep rhyming. (laughs) But relationships are not built as the primary source of our self-worth. Sure, they validate us. They help us feel connected and seen. They give us some sense of self-esteem. But we, we have to be able to leave a relationship nearly as intact as we entered it. And the feminine shadow would have us thinking otherwise. It wants us to fuse together so that there can never be separation. And that's just not pleasant. So the first feminine shadow trait we talked about in part one was about an inability to self-regulate, leaning on others to help you manage your, your own emotions. And in the case of codependency, something similar happens, but it's presenting as the feminine shadow wanting to be the one that's, that's leaned on. Codependency makes you want to be responsible for making other people feel better. That's where individual value comes from, is making other people feel better. But both versions of this is creating suffering. No one else is responsible for making you feel better. You are not responsible for making other people feel better. We can support each other, but the work to quell and learn and evolve is ours alone. And boundaries, a healthy trait of the masculine light, is where that healthy separation begins. Within this particular shadow trait of codependency, we can find some nuances that share space. And that includes the constant pursuit of external validation, which I talked about in part one. And engaging in cycles of self-deprivation and then total indulgence. Now, I've talked about the too good, too demanding dynamic on this podcast before. And that's an idea that comes from Clarissa Pinkola Estes, who wrote The Women Who Run With the Wolves. And essentially, when we are too good, we are in states of self-deprivation. When we are forfeiting our needs for the sake of other people or for the group, we think we're doing it selflessly. But what may be happening instead is we're ranking up credits so that later when we demand appreciation or acknowledgement or acceptance, we can say, look at everything I just sacrificed for you. Now give me the thing that I want. And the self-sacrifice becomes another way of controlling the dynamic in the relationship because just like the argument that says, I'm just trying to love you. How can you be upset with me? This one says, I gave you everything. Now why can't you give me the one thing that I ask for? These are hard things to argue with, right? The problem with that is if it's really a case of a feminine shadow codependency, no one probably asked you to make those sacrifices in the first place. If it wasn't done for the other person, it was done as a means to self-soothe so that later love can be proven back. Obligation can become weaponized in the codependent manifestation of the feminine shadow, which is to say that because the feminine shadow makes it so hard to set boundaries, you cannot just easily assert what you want. You have to earn it. Something has to happen for the codependent person to feel okay saying no. 
It can't be because they don't want to or because they need to prioritize themselves. It has to be because they're sick, they're injured, they're busy helping somebody else, they have another obligation, or they have had it up to here with all of the sacrifices that they have been making. Earning the right to say no or earning the right to feel allowed to take up space is something the codependent person feels desperate to do. And that is something worth having empathy for because imagine feeling like you're not allowed to say no. Those mental backflips are understandable when you realize how necessary they are to one's survival. If the only way they feel allowed to say no is through some other obligation, then you can bet there will be an accumulation of obligations to act as a moat for safety. This is going to be the sort of martyr archetype, right? This is how feminine shadow can become aggressive. There's a violence that can happen here because there's a shift in reality that is happening unbeknownst to the person that it impacts the most. The feminine shadow is running the show. They're setting all kinds of conditions and expectations and booby traps. And and the other person in the relationship is being forced to walk that obstacle course without even knowing it. And by the time they find out, They've probably already violated one of the conditions and now they have to confusingly defend themselves about it, right? They didn't even know that they were being tested in this way and yet now they're being confronted with it. Now that said, love in this relationship is still worthwhile. And I recently shared this on Instagram from a blog post that I wrote a few years back. And I hope it can invite self-compassion and empathy into this conversation, right? So I said, Typically in early development, a codependent person is taught that her triumphs are not nearly as important as her failures, and that there are far more ways to fail than succeed, because success is only achieved by fulfilling someone else's idea of it. She is assured that her personal missteps, self-care, and aspirations can be catastrophic to those around her. It's a distorted life lesson that convinces her, deep down in the gut of her very personality, that her mistakes, shortcomings, and weaknesses are not personal challenges, but rather tribal inflictions. Her imperfections can cause another person pain, destruction, and even psychic death. So when we look at it from the wound through which codependency can grow, and not just from the behaviors of it once it's fully developed, we can recognize that a person behaves this way because they were conditioned to believe that they existed to be a sponge to absorb the bullshit in a family system, to mediate, to maintain the homeostasis, which meant being hyper-attuned to the environment and being reactive when nobody else was. To be codependent means you learn from life that you owe a lot to those around you, but you can fuck it up pretty easily. So be on your best behavior and do all the good you possibly can. Clearly, this is not fertile ground for a healthy self-image, nor is it fertile ground for healthy relationships. So let's cut yourself or the codependent person in your life some slack while we navigate these shadowy corners, shall we? Okay, moving on to feminine shadow trait number five. This is apathy and resignation. Now, if you heard me talk about feminine shadow before, either on my blog or on Instagram, you may have been wondering how apathy and the need for control could be on the same list. And we're going to talk more about control next, although we've heard some of it in the codependency piece, but apathy manifests when the feminine shadow is tired of trying to convince you that it loves you and that you should love it back. It's the thing that makes resignation possible and even safe. It's this sort of running out of fucks to give modality that follows perceiving yourself as having given all of the fucks and getting no fucks back in return. (laughs) 
And by the way, acceptance and resignation are not the same thing. Acceptance is rooted in empowerment. Resignation is rooted in victimization. When the feminine shadow realizes it cannot control the other person in relationship, it allows them to give up entirely. Well, you tried. You loved and they and, and all they could do was reject you. They couldn't love you back. Right? They just set boundaries. That was all that they can do. Your control over that person becomes synonymous with your love for them. So if they reject your control, they also reject your love. So fuck them. What else can you do? Right? That's where the resignation piece comes in. I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. Now, there might be anger in the resignation, but behind the anger, you'll find helplessness. A sadness will follow because the rejection will reinforce a negative belief about worth and goodness. And I should say the perceived rejection, because just because you're setting a boundary doesn't mean you are actually rejecting somebody. For the feminine shadow, it's easier to believe that the reason something's going wrong is because of some cosmic injustice, because we're not lovable, because we're bad, because we didn't do enough good things. We don't have what it takes. Everybody that everything that works for other people always fails for me. It's easier to believe we have to accept the shit given to us or break and be done, wash our hands of it all, right? We don't see that negotiation is possible. We don't see that solutions are possible, that we might actually be worthy of the issue being fixed, talked about, sorted through, that we can find a middle ground, that we don't have to yet again face our unworthiness and walk away from something that maybe we actually want. And by the way, I hope it's not confusing because I'm shifting perspectives a lot Sometimes I talk about it as though I'm the person with the feminine shadow or you're the person with the feminine shadow or somebody else is the person with the feminine shadow. So I hope that this isn't getting too confusing. (laughs) But now we're up to our last feminine shadow trait, number six, perfectionism and the need for control. We don't have to stay here for too long because a lot of these dynamics actually show up in codependency, but the need for control extends beyond just relationships. The need for control could be about anything. It could be about the way things are organized in the family home. It could be about the, the plan for the next girl's night out, about things that were never and will never be in your control. And the feminine light includes vulnerability. The feminine shadow includes perfectionism, which is a direct block against vulnerability. One of my favorite quotes from Brene Brown is, quote, perfectionism is a self-destructive and addictive belief system that fuels this primary thought. If I look perfect and do everything perfectly, I can avoid or minimize the painful feelings of shame, judgment, and blame, end quote. Perfectionism itself is the control. It's trying to control yourself so intensely that you can also control the way other people perceive you, which is so far above your pay grade, like it's not even funny. You can't change how other people perceive you. I've tried, believe me, it's an exhausting pursuit that ends in futility. You can't. You can just do what you do and what they see and how they filter it will have everything to do with them and hardly anything to do with you. RuPaul has a very healthy masculine light response to that idea. Borrowing from Eleanor Roosevelt, he says, what other people think of me is not my business. What I do is what I do. How people see me doesn't change what I decide to do. End quote. The feminine shadow can't tolerate that idea. So it's stuck in an exhausting cycle of never feeling good enough but then becoming so rigid to try to prove the opposite of that. And so those are some of the behavior traits associated with the feminine shadow. And uh, I can't tell you how how much relief I felt 
once I realized that I just needed to break down those traits in a sequential masculine-like kind of containment. It was so soothing because before I made that itemized list, I had like the messiest compilation of journal entries, emails that I had sent to myself at all, all hours of the night, poetry I wrote while I was really sad, other random notes that were just messy. The feminine is chaotic <laughs> and sometimes that's okay. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it creates a lot of anxiety, which this episode was doing for me. And that's what we call on the masculine to help a girl out with some structure and organization and identifying an, an achievable goal. And not only did it help, it felt so relieving and containing and less frenzied and overwhelming. So thank you, masculine light. So we did it. We effectively discussed the feminine shadow. And I hope you got something out of this episode. We're not done yet. There's still some stuff to talk about. Uh, but I hope that you got something from this, whether it was validation, insight, uh, or an invitation to do deeper personal work on how this manifests within you, within your relationships, within your community. Uh, as with anything, we don't want to shun these traits or cut them off at their life source so that they go away. That's not how we want to treat this. We need to be using feminine and masculine light traits to acknowledge, accept, and integrate the shadow. I think culturally, we need to be more welcoming and celebrating of feminine light and less accepting of the feminine shadow. Individually, I think it just depends on how you view these things, right? For me, because my feminine shadow feels so repressed in a masculine-dominated culture, my feminine shadow is the thing that, that responds. It's the fighter that comes out and, and in that, in a response to a, a masculine world that says that my feminine traits are not valuable, right? It's, it's my feminine shadow that comes out in response to that, which isn't good, but but neither shadow coming out is really the thing that you want. You don't want you don't want the shadow running running the show, right? So I need a balance of tending to masculine light and feminine light so that I can feel resourced enough to manage the way the feminine shadow tries to take over things. Looking for that resourcing is important. Bolster down your strengths first so that you can feel stable enough to look at what feels maybe like a weakness to you. And just as you saw before, when I was overwhelmed about this topic, I took the chaos and I put it inside of a structure. And that was me using the masculine light to contain feminine shadow so that it felt safer to look at, right? I also took a late night drive to Malibu to get out of my head a little bit. And I ended up writing some ideas down while I was parked on the side of PCH overlooking the ocean. For me, that was utilizing my feminine light to tap into nature and movement and a little bit of adventure. Um, I was resourcing myself and my feminine light showed up too, to celebrate, to feel, to imagine, to be creative without feeling like the feminine shadow was going to run amok and lead me into a panic attack or just make me withdraw entirely. So now, will I do an episode on the masculine shadow? I've gotten that question. Perhaps I might. But you see, the feminine shadow and the masculine shadow are not equal, not only in their traits, of course, but in the way we hold them at a collective level. We embrace the masculine shadow. We call for more war. We call for more privatization. We've created a society that perpetuates uses of the masculine shadow. This is my property. So if you steal, steal it or enter it, I get to fight you, right? Our identities are wrapped up in our income sources and we're just sort of okay with that. So talking about the masculine shadow won't be as shocking as the feminine shadow because it's so normalized. It's what we've come to expect and accept about each other. It's in our faces every day. It's in the news cycle literally every day. 
It's not to say we should be used to it, but we are. We love the masculine wholeheartedly, for better or worse. We hate the feminine wholeheartedly, for better or worse. So my goal in sharing these episodes with you and all of the work that we do is to recognize the splitting that's happening, how we have completely idealized the masculine and devalued the feminine in our culture, and how that's not healthy, how that's not sustainable. And it's certainly not as righteous as we have let ourselves believe. And it's not doing any justice for anything. The feminine is worthy of our love. And we loved it and we allow it in. So before I end this two episode long discussion, I want to address my I want to address my use of the word violence in relationship to the feminine shadow. Now, violence or the assumed physical violence that we think of when we hear the word violence, that's a trait of the masculine shadow. But there's something arguably violent about the way the feminine shadow can sneak into your sense of self and jostle you around. As I said in part one, masculine violence gets you to put your shield up. It's a punch to the mouth that gets you to raise your fist in front of your face. Feminine violence gets you to put your shield down. It's an enmeshed mother who guilts you into living her unfinished life rather than your own, which gets you to fold in half while you comply with her wishes and lose your sense of self. I think I should be clear about something here too, which is just because I'm calling it violence doesn't mean it's undeserving of empathy. If you can spare it. And I think it's understandable maybe if you can't. That's true regardless of whether it's masculine violence or feminine violence. If someone is acting violently, it's probably because they feel powerless and they don't recognize any other tools to dig out of that powerlessness. Now, that doesn't mean you have to stick around and tolerate it, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to fight back or condemn the person. They might be struggling. And considering we all act from these archetypal places, in other words, I'm dominant in my feminine for better or worse. I have had codependent relationships and I know in the past I've done some of these tactics to people in order to survive the experience that I was in. I didn't know I was doing it and I certainly didn't mean any harm, but it was all I could access at the time. So I reckon the same could be said about us all. In fact, there's a reason you were attracted to this episode in the first place. And at least part of that attraction was because you saw yourself in what I was describing and that's okay. We're all represented here in this conversation in one way or another. And so masculine violence is conscious. Feminine violence is unconscious. And again, important to note that masculine violence is not only carried out by men and feminine violence is not only carried out by women. Masculine violence, which comes by way of theft, force, or rape, is when somebody tries to take something tangible. My cash, my land, my body. Feminine violence is when someone tries to, to take something more spiritual, something more tied to the core of who we are, how we see the world, how we see ourselves. It's like you want to read my mind and then change its script and never tell me. And I'll struggle to notice because the plane of existence that it unfolds on is so intangible that it takes time for me to feel the shift. So you're going to try to take my reality. And although you can't take someone else's reality without consequence, you're going to try. And I might let you unwittingly. And I won't know, of course, right? Because I'll have been conditioned to think that I was doing it for some nobler reason because you guilted me into something, right? All the while, I'm going to wonder why it feels like something's rotting inside of me, right? Because you can't give somebody else your reality and stay intact. And that's the thing about the, the feminine shadow. Now, I admit, because feminine violence attacks that which is intangible, it does complicate things, right? The masculine violence punched to the face, it hurts. But I know what happened. I can identify the action. I can identify the perpetrator. I can identify the impact of the action. And then I can figure out what the solution is. 
Feminine violence isn't as aggressive on paper as a punch to the face, but it's deeper and darker and more prolonged. And you're still stealing something from me, only I can't quite figure out what's happening or how to make it stop. You can argue that that's a worse experience. At a cultural level, we do not do well with the feminine shadow. Right? I said before, we hate the entirety of the feminine in Western culture. But even if we were to just compare feminine shadow and masculine shadow and hold that comparison up to the values of our culture, we can see that one is rejected while the other is actually celebrated. We love violence. We love an excuse to fight back. We love calling for war when we feel like we have been wronged. We empathize with pursuits of power. We follow along with our own pursuits of material wealth, regardless of its sacrifices. And it could be because masculine violence is easier to identify and respond to. Yet, I can't help but wonder if it's because feminine violence requires more inner work, right? It requires more self-awareness to fight off, better communication skills, better boundary setting, increased consciousness. It doesn't require physical strength that you could get at the gym, but it requires emotional and mental strength to battle with it. And I would argue that we're a culture disinterested in those things. Therefore, without those skills, we see the feminine shadow as like the absolute worst thing imaginable because we, we don't have any defenses against it. I mean, a lot of us do, but I would say just culturally generalizing at a cultural level, we don't. <clears throat> and recently I stumbled upon a series of memes that kind of felt like, like that followed that up, right? It reminded me of a, a 50 cent lyric, <laughs> which I don't keep a lot of 50 cent lyrics in my head, but this one popped up. He says, I hate a liar more than I hate a thief. A thief is only after my salary. A liar is after my reality. And there it is. Masculine violence wants something it can have. Feminine violence wants something it cannot. That's a rather popular notion. Punch me in the face, but don't try to sucker me into a lopsided relationship with you. And I remain curious about our preference there. <laughs> While also wondering if we talk about the feminine more. If we can see that not only are her traits, her light traits worthy, her shadow traits are just an adaptive reaction to being repressed. It's not something we have to fear, right? So maybe if we talk about it more, it'll feel less scary. We can gain the tools, the strength, the conditioning that we need in order to feel safe around it. I don't know, just a thought. And so there we are the feminine shadow there's much more to discuss uh i have no idea if this was helpful helpful i hope that it was i'm having a really hard time viewing this episode objectively because it was so personal to kind of move through a lot of this stuff um so i hope it made sense i hope it was helpful illuminating remember that the point of sharing this information is to promote consciousness right it's for you to gain insight about yourself your relationships and maybe take some of those insights to your therapist or to your support system to work through areas where you might be struggling right so feel free to uh, follow this podcast so you can stay in the loop of upcoming episodes of which there will be a plenty two more episodes are planned for the next two weeks and then i have some other ideas that i'm gearing up to share so thank you so much for listening and going on this ride with me and uh, feel free to check out the blog at thehungryfeminine.com and follow me on Instagram at thehungryfeminine. And until next time. <laughs>